Right now, the inspector runs the DOT number or the license plate. He has to do it manually. It takes a couple seconds. And while they're doing that, however many other trucks drive past them and they don't run the DOT number on those trucks because they're running the DOT number on truck number one right now. So trucks two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight get to go by without any kind of interaction with the enforcement official, right? With the universal ID concept, um, we would be able to automate that. It would go more quickly. I wouldn't have to enter a DOT number because the universal ID would be telling me which trucks are around me, which trucks there are, and informing my inspection selection decision. And so um, I would know that you know these are the four trucks around me, and that's the one I want to look at, right? So it's just an, an enhanced inspection selection tool for the inspectors. We're running DOT numbers now. We're running license plates now. Um, you know, it's not leaving a little trail of breadcrumbs of where this truck was three hours ago, two hours ago, 30 minutes ago. That's not what we're talking about. It is which vehicles are right here in my immediate area so that I can pick the one most in need of intervention. Welcome back, everyone, to the Trucking with Pro Miles podcast. Tony, we've had a little bit of break here. How are your holidays, my friend? Oh, wasn't long enough. I needed more time. And the snow, oh my gosh, it snowed every day for weeks, buddy. And I mean, we had a couple of feet of snow out here. You can't even, my front yard is up to my waist right now. Surely not in Colorado. Land of what, 10-month winters? I don't know how y'all do it. Oh, no, man. It's it's always nice. And you know what's funny is I had a group up here and we uh, went out to eat and I didn't even have a jacket on. Um, so it's, it's not really that bad. But, you know, the holidays with the family and you know, and getting together with everybody, it's probably one of the most stressful times of the year for me because my wife goes crazy. You know, what do we get for this person? How do we deal with this? She wants everybody happy instead of focusing on what is this about? Just getting together, having fun. But man, that woman stresses. 32 years of this, you would have thought she would have got a lot better at it. No, she's getting a lot worse. It's getting harder. But I'll tell you, once you see all those kids get around, they're all grown up and open them presents and, you know, having that great Christmas meal, it's amazing. Uh-huh. It's something you'll never, ever be able to replace. I know your sweet wife. She's the glue to your family. And how's Momo doing? Tell us about Momo. Momo's, Momo's doing good, doing good. She screamed at me this morning and woke my butt up and said, I can't move. She had her foot stuck in her bed. She couldn't get her foot out of the bed. <laughs> <laughs> why, why are we laughing? That's terrible. It is. It is. But hey, if you knew Momo, okay, if you knew Momo, you would understand She's uh, she's very independent, want to do her own thing. But at 83 disabled, it's it's kind of hard for her to do things she's used to doing. But she's she's a coon ass from the state of Louisiana. <laughs> and you want to talk about getting some weight on you. Uh, that's when I met this woman 32 years ago. And she started teaching us how to make gumbo, crawfish etouffee, you know, jambalaya, all this kind of good stuff. And so we love that woman to death. Most people don't like their mother-in-laws. I love my mother-in-law. Yeah. Yeah, I, I hate to give you too much credit, but yeah, you you do get the uh, you do get the golden halo for taking care of family. That's for sure. So mountain mountain life in Colorado in the wintertime. Um, wow, that's it's probably um, it's probably exciting, but also maybe a little dangerous at times. Uh, mostly when you get in my big F three fifty with a ten foot plow in the front, and I plow about three miles worth of road here for a bunch of the neighbors. And when I plow, I do it four in the morning. I do it with a great big beam light, you know, a bar on the front of my uh, plow and everything. 
And I try to go as fast as I can because the faster you go, the further it throws the snow. Uh, I also do not stop, you know. So when you go backwards before you go forward, you just got to shift it in that gear really quick and punch it. It's not good on the transmission, but, buddy, it makes you feel like you're the Dukes of Hazard. It really does. Uh, it is dangerous. You'll slide off the side of a cliff. You'll, you know, wreck the truck. You'll get stuck. And I, I normally get stuck a couple of times here and there if I don't watch it. But uh, it to me, it's my time to get out and uh, get away from work, get away from everything else, kick up that radio, <laughs> turn on my seat heaters in my truck, and uh, plow. You and sissy. I've got a lot of neighbors around here. A couple of them are just single ladies. And so they can't get out there and do this. And some of the other folks are getting old and stuff. So I really enjoy going out there. I just hate having to do it every single day, two to three times a day for two weeks. That's how this last couple of weeks felt. That's sweet of you to do that. But seat heaters, that's that's kind of that's kind of being a sissy, isn't it? Well, if it was summertime, my uh, seats do have a cooler in it, too. Of course they do. cool you down. Yeah, they do. Uh, but I'll tell you what, buddy, it's fun. I love doing it. I love doing it for the neighborhood. Uh, I, I like getting out there. Also, at that time in the morning, is a great time because you get to see all the animals come out. You start seeing them wake up, getting out there, and I see deer, I see elk, I, bear, all kinds of stuff. Things that, you know, when I lived in Texas, you didn't get to see none of this neat stuff. The other thing is, is to sit on the side of a mountain and look out at this beautiful land that, you know, the good Lord gave us is amazing. And, uh, you know, I'm blessed. I am so blessed being here. But it's hard. I hate shoveling snow and my back deck gets full right now. It's got about two and a half foot of snow on it. So I've got to get out there this afternoon to move it. My back gate for the propane guy to show up. I got to get out there and move all the snow just to open up that 20 foot gate to let that guy come in. It's a lot of work. And if I would have grew up in Colorado or grew up around the snow, maybe I'd rather be in Florida. But honestly, me and my wife always, we, we always decided, you know, about 30 years ago, we're going to move to Colorado. We want that snow. We want seasons. And Colorado actually has four seasons. You know, you have a summer, you got a fall, and it literally happens almost the day it changes, the seasons here truly change. It's good and hot. Fall hits within a day before, a day after, the weather changes, the temperature changes. It's so amazing. We're in Texas, man, it's hot all the time. We would go get our Christmas tree and set it up in shorts. Well, that doesn't happen here. You mountain men have a unique way of talking and terminology, kind of like Jeff Foxworthy of the South. I noticed you say Colorado, <laughs> and then my my former state, Illinois. You 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 call it Illinois, uh, with a couple of Z's mm -hmm. on the end. Is that mountain man talk? I think it's a little bit of being around those Cajuns too much, being in Texas too much, uh, being all over the country, and then moving to Colorado. I'm I've been up here 17 years now, and I still have some of that Southern Texas accent. Uh, it's almost as bad as when I grew up, everybody used to pick at me because I didn't call it a refrigerator. I called it a fidgetator. <laughs> now, why? I have no idea. I blame it all on my dad, but because uh, he couldn't even say the word ifta right. Ifka is what he used to always say, which always made me laugh. Oh, we got to we got to talk about your dad one of these days. What a what a great man. What a character. We'll we'll, we'll talk about him in a future podcast. Hey, real quick, uh, transitioning to work wise a little bit in Colorado. Um, I know from talking to our buddy Dan Wells and others, trucking's a whole different world in Colorado in the wintertime with the chains and all. My gosh. Not just for the trucks, buddy. When you're coming over the Eisenhower, going through the Eisenhower Tunnel, coming over the passes, uh, it becomes very dangerous. I mean, I used to love going back and forth to Denver to catch a flight because just traveling those roads, going through Vail, Breckenridge, you know, Frisco, 
you know, all these places are gorgeous. But I'll tell you what, buddy, I've never been so scared in my life than having an 18 wheeler behind me or a, a, a vehicle from a passenger vehicle for somebody that's only a two wheel drive. They got summer tires on and it's wintertime and it's like a ping pong ball just bouncing all over the place. Hundreds of vehicles get, you know, in an accident at one time because when you're going down that hill, it don't matter what you're doing. It also matters what everybody else is doing. Because that guy behind you that's in that great big F-350 thinks, oh, I got a four-wheel drive. It's not a four-wheel stop. Okay, buddy, you're going to stop just as bad as everybody else, and you're heavier. The heavier you are, the longer it's going to take to stop. And I've seen many cases where those trucks took that that exit where they have those uh, off-ramps just for the truck to be able to stop. It's nothing but a whole bunch of gravel to slow them down. You can smell the brakes on these trucks overheating. You know damn well there's a problem when you – you get that smell and you go, is that a, that's somebody's brakes. And you start looking and sure enough, you see smoke coming up here and there from some tires. Could be trailer tires, could be your driving axles, but you start seeing a little bit of that smoke coming. You have that smell. That's when you better be very careful. They can't stop. So you got to have a, you got to, you have to have a good sniffer. You live up in the mountains. You do. Time. You, you do. You do. Not only just for the trucks, but you better keep your eyes open. We went through the Eisenhower Tunnel one time and almost wrecked because there was a bear crossing right on interstate. Now, I'm doing 80 miles an hour, which, yeah, 75 was the limit, but I was doing about 80 miles an hour. And when you have to slam your brakes on to keep from hitting a bear, that's scary. And then you have to worry about the people behind you. It's very, very bad. And it's very dangerous driving in these roads. Matter of fact, Glenwood Canyon, which is right where I live, about you know 15 minutes from, is the most dangerous road in the United States. Why? Because a couple of years ago, we ended up having a bunch of wildfires up here in the canyon. What that did, it got rid of all the vegetation. So every time it rained, it then had a mudslide. They were cars that got under mud, cars that got stuck behind it, took a day to get them out. They got to go in. So now before weather comes in, they shut down Interstate 70 from that whole section just to make sure if there is a mudslide or something happens, we don't have a bunch of vehicles stuck in it. So over the last three years, it's been a pain. Every time I turn around, they shut that down. And the only way around is routes that one, trucks can't take because there's other passes in the wintertime. Number two, it's probably about three to four hours out of your way. Mm -hmm. That big of a difference. It's not like you got one little road segment. You can go a couple of miles to the left and get around. No, sir. You try to do that. You got declines. You got inclines. You got guys that don't have good chains, guys that don't have good brakes. And then you've got all of us consumers and, and the public that most of us don't know how to drive in the snow. Most of us that has drove, driven in snow, but never driven in snow over a mountain. It's a big difference, buddy, a big difference. One minute, things look great. The next minute, ice builds up and you're sliding everywhere. I almost got divorced driving through mountains, coming out my way with my wife, with my lovely new bride in our big U-Haul. My God, yeah, that, that is dangerous. You mentioned, what happened? You, you mentioned a bear earlier. I don't advocate for violence uh, against bears or certainly accidents, but hey, that might have been the bear that was terrorizing your daughter's neighborhood not too long ago. You could have you killed two birds with one stone there. It could have been the bear that ate my chickens. I'm telling you. I, we still have not got that bear after I went out with that gun that cut times. I think he could smell me because he didn't He never came back. Now, granted, it got colored winter times here and everything, so they're hibernating at the moment. So I'm just patiently waiting for spring to see if he comes back. But we've had more animals and more bear in this area over the last year than we've had in 17 since I've been here. And they're, they're animals. We moved into their area. 
we are the one that's crossing the line. We're the ones that coming into their homes and changing things. So it does hurt. It hurts me to know that we're doing this and affecting them. And I never looked at it that way before. I mean, they're no different than your dog or your cat or your, or your son. I mean, they are living beings and these living beings deserve to have a life. And it's us that's building the roads through their lands. It's us that's creating all the havoc, not them. And they're the ones getting, you know, tranquilized and moved. And if they can't keep them away, then they put them down. That's not good. So and it's our fault because we're moving into their world. I got a recommendation, you old softy. You got a you got a mother in law suite for Mama. Um, why don't you open up another little suite there in your house for bears? A guest bear room. Well, you know, I, it's their. I land. may not have to as much as they like my chickens. <laughs> I, I think that's probably where they'll try to hang out. But uh, I tell you, it was really, it was really hard listening to that bear eating that chicken though. When they those poor chickens were screaming. It may, but you know, it's a, it's the way of life. I mean, it's, it's the whole circle that we all have to go through. But, uh, again, I would never experience half the things I experienced if I was in Southeast Texas, being in Colorado, it is God's country. It is beautiful. No matter what, even the guys that showed up this last week said, look, I could just sit there and stare out the windows at these mountains yeah. all day long. It never gets boring, but I will tell you when I leave and I'm gone for a couple of days and I come back. Oh my gosh, how much I missed it. And it's like being back for the first time, you know, and you always get to see something different. You know, you always get to see very unique things like see a moose walk down the road, you know, see uh, minks, you know, walk across your front yard. These things are amazing. You don't get that in Texas. You know, you really don't. Yeah. If I weren't such a sissy about cold weather, um, I'd, I'd probably join you, but I'm good with, I'm good with the pictures. Your wife posts the most beautiful scenic pictures uh, on her social media. I think I'm good just sitting back in my my warm front porch looking at your wife's pictures. <laughs> they are go. beautiful. I'll give you but, that. But but let me tell you one thing, Stephen, something that a lot of people don't understand. When you're in Colorado, you have most of the time very little bit of humidity, okay? Where in Texas, it's 99% humidity. The higher the humidity, the colder you're going to become. Like I was saying earlier, I could go outside in 35 degree weather without a jacket on, just with a shirt like this and be just as comfortable as ever. As long as the sun's out, you're in the sun. It's great. Or in Texas, if it was 35 degrees, your hands would be frozen and hurt within a couple of minutes. Yeah. It's a huge difference. And a lot of people don't get that. They don't get, well, my God, it's, it's 12 degrees at your place. Yeah, it's getting kind of chilly. People are going, no, it's freaking cold. Nah, just chilly. Cold is negative 19, and that's cold. And I'll tell you, during the holidays, buddy, we got blessed. The mountain ranges and stuff that we're in, we were right on the south side and the west side of that big storm coming in because in Denver, negative 50 was the wind chill. <sighs> Ours only got to like a negative 10. Oh, so is that it wasn't all? really that bad. Is that all? That's yeah. all. Well, speaking We didn't have it that bad. A lot, a lot of people think being up in the mountain is the bad place to be. No. Denver had a harder time over the last month than we have. Oh, is that right? And you wouldn't think that because they're 5,200 feet up, you know, a mile high. And I'm, a, you know, another couple of thousand feet higher than them. But we just don't get it like they do. And normally after the first year, like right now, this is when Denver's going to start getting their load. They're going to start getting a lot. And, uh, you know, it's and trying to get stuff commuted. You're talking transportation in Colorado, getting from Denver to Grand Junction and everything in between is very important. Problem is, if you're always having things shipped to Denver and it's then being transported down Interstate 70, 
when that thing shuts down and I go to the store and you can't find baby food, you can't find, you know, Tylenol because they're out. You can't find toilet paper, paper towels when all that was going. A lot of these challenges are really bad whenever the weather's bad, because when those trucks can't move, you're not getting your commodities and then you run out. And then all of a sudden everybody over here is freaking out because they can't find certain things. But what do you do? You wait as soon as the corridor opens back up, you get all that stuff coming again. But like I said, with all the fires, the mudslides, the weather, everything else, it really is hard to maintain good commodities in areas like this that only have so many entrance and exits. Uh, but over time, even the last 17 years of here, they've got better and better at this. They got better in logistics. They got better at making sure that, hey, we're not going to ship all that to Denver no more. We're going to ship half of it to Grand Junction. So Grand Junction can go up. Denver can come halfway up and then meet in the middle versus having to go all the way across back and forth. And uh, I can't wait until they decide to dig another hole and make us another another tunnel or two because uh, and it's going to be a big venture. But this is the only solution they have, either that or, heck, buddy, you're going to miss all your flights. You're going to miss your kid's oh, graduation yeah. because you can't get home. Yeah. Well, speaking of some people don't get certain things. Some people don't get law enforcement, do they? And some in our industry, no, they don't. Some in our industry don't get the trucking enforcement uh, uh, police, uh, as they say, or CMV enforcement. And we're going to talk to Adrian Gilday, Deputy Executive Director of CVSA, which is basically the association of all the truck enforcement uh, agencies around um, the entire North American continent, and. We're, we're going we're gonna to talk, Tony, with Adrian about bridging that gap a little bit more between the trucking industry and, and, and the government sector, particularly law enforcement. And I know, Tony, you and ProMiles have a longstanding respect for, obviously, the industry side of things, but also the government and law enforcement side of things. Where does that stem from, that respect you and, you and ProMiles have? Well, I'll tell you, when I was uh, 19 years old, I got hit by a tow truck and this tow truck caused a lot of damage to my body, caused me to put in a hospital, uh, dealing with pins and plates and everything in my leg. Uh, it destroyed my 240 Z sports car that I just bought. That uh, was an antique at the time, but it almost took my life. Now this piece of equipment was not supposed to be traveling out of the state of Louisiana. Well, he did. And he wasn't even legal to be in our town. And it almost took everything from me, everything in my life. And so I realized back then that the enforcement community is there to try to keep you safe. They're not there to be a pain in your ass. They're not, you know, they're really there to protect all of us. And if, if people will take a step back sometimes and realize that they're just trying to make things safer, they want to eliminate accidents. They want to eliminate deaths. To me, that's important. You know, you can't replace a person. You can't, you can replace a car or a truck, but you can't replace your mom, your dad, your daughter, your son. You can't. What do you say we bring in Adrian Gilday from the CVSA and have a listen? I think so, because I think a lot of people will be very surprised at what their take is on things and how they have a different vision than what FMCSA has, you know, uh, and they have a, a plan, a damn good plan. And I really think the more that the industry can hear that plan and understand it, and the more they know how they're investing in education and training people man, it's going to be great. So I'm excited about getting her in here. So let's get her on. Let's have it. Visiting with 
Miss Adrienne Gilday, Executive Deputy Director, Deputy Executive Director uh, of the Thought Commercial Vehicle. Thought you were giving me a promotion there. <laughs> commercial. <laughs> Colin, Colin probably had a heart attack there if he's listening. <laughs> of the uh, Commercial Vehicle Safety Alliance, uh, basically uh, the number two uh, position uh, at the wonderful Association of CVSA. Welcome, uh, Adrian, to the Pro Miles podcast. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to it. I uh, am a big stickler about company mission statements and association mission statements, and I really appreciate uh, yours, Adrian, because I feel like the two main things you stress, which I'm going to mention here in a moment, are two basic concepts that we all can and should agree on, um, both in the trucking industry and in law enforcement industry, government industry. The first being is you simply exist to prevent commercial motor vehicle crashes, injuries, and fatalities. Who can't agree on that, right? Right. Good, good, good goal. And then secondly, your association believes that collaboration between government and industry improves road safety and saves lives. And as I've shared with you many times uh, off the record, I think your association does perhaps as good or better job than any other government organization out there in uh, opening up those communication lines between industry, the trucking industry, and other industries uh, that you regulate, and you folks, the government side. Talk, talk to us a little bit about the history and evolution of CVSA and why you felt that was so important. Well, first off, thank you so much for the kind words. It's nice to hear that the, the you know, the work that we're doing is well received. Um, yeah, so basically our, our philosophy is that if you can put all the people in the room together to talk about the issues, you're going to get the best possible outcomes. We all have a role to play in this uh, grand scheme of trying to reduce commercial motor vehicle related fatalities and crashes and injuries, right? We have the motor carrier industry, which are the ones out there operating on the roadways. We have the regulators at the federal government who set the regulations that the motor carrier industry has to comply with. And then you have the inspector community, which is tasked with enforcing those regulations. And, you know, each group has a role to play and everybody's a subject matter expert in, in their own kind of arena. And the, the way to have the most effective um, uh, enforceable, understandable, impactful rules for the motor carrier industry to follow is to get all the people in the room and talk about it and troubleshoot them and improve them and update them where necessary. You know, the trucking industry is constantly evolving and changing. We have to make sure that the regulations keep up with that and that the inspector community keeps up with that. And so, you know, the best way to do it is to communicate, get everybody together. We're not going to be the experts on everything. So why would we, you know, stumble and make guesses when we can just call the, the manufacturers of whatever the component is or the motor carriers? and talk to them and the drivers themselves. And Tony, you're nodding your head approvingly, I believe, because ProMiles very uniquely services both the government industry and the trucking industry, similarly to what we're talking about with CVSA. Yeah, and it's very unique because it's very hard. It is very difficult to have both sides in a room together and discuss a topic that one side may not want to talk about. And so their job, just like ours, has been very difficult through the years. There's much worse than ours because, I mean, these are regulations. This is enforcement. I mean, with, with the fees going up in January with these penalties and everything else, I mean, this is a, a touchy spot for the carrier and the, uh, the government to look at. But we have to. 
I mean, it's sad to see the people that have died or got so injured out there because of a crash that could have been avoided if people just sit down together and have a conversation. Before we dive in, Adrian, to some specific issues, just kind of from a high level, walk us through some of the top initiatives and agenda items on CVSA's plate for 2023. We've got a busy 2023 lined up for us. I think probably the the, the largest initiative for us right now is we were um, just last week awarded the um, enforcement training grant for the state from FMCSA. It's a $5 million cooperative agreement with the, with the agency. And um, we will essentially be responsible for developing and delivering the training, the core certification training that the inspector community receives in order to become CVSA certified and inspect trucks under the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration's Motor Carrier Safety Assistance Program. So our core 13,000 inspectors out there roughly Um, We are now responsible for developing and delivering the training they need to become and remain certified. And so it is a a big task for us. It's uh, been a high priority for us to um, gain this responsibility over the last, Colin will tell you, several decades. and it's it's finally here, and so we're excited, but it also comes with the responsibility of making sure that we we do it and we do it well and as seamlessly as possible with the minimal impact to the states. And so we are hiring up. We onboarded five new people last week. We've got a couple more in the queue to join us so that we can have the staffing appropriate to deliver this this very important training to the roadside inspector community. So that's issue number one. We we got the grant awarded. We got it right after the new year. It was a great way to start 2023. And now we've just got to do all the work associated with it. So that's probably our biggest uh, focus right now. Um, we also are launching several new initiatives. We have, I'm sure we'll speak about this a little bit later, but we have a level eight inspection forum that we are planning and working towards later this year. Um, we have all of our conferences, obviously. Um, and then we continue to work, and I know we'll talk about this some more as well, but we continue to work towards advancing our universal ID concept and really trying to bring the inspection environment into the modern world and really kind of advance it and kind of get it caught up with the technology that's out there. Why don't we just start there? Um, And certainly we'll get to those other issues. Um, CVSA, as you know, uh, had a proposal aimed at improving roadside safety improvement um, that I believe you folks or someone suggested would revolutionize roadside inspection by requiring fleets and owner operators to equip their trucks with a new electronic identification system. And um, as as we all might have imagined, that got quite a reaction uh, from any and all sides and, you know, trucking industry and some of the pre-pass folks, that type of thing. But let's start, Adrian, with what was your initial proposal? What was it? What wasn't it? Um, And, and, what did you? What have you folks noticed? FMCSA uh, has done with that original proposal since, as they advance the rulemaking. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the universal electronic vehicle identifier—it's a pretty simple concept in our and, and and from our perspective. Essentially, what we would like is for every commercial motor vehicle out there to be able to communicate wirelessly, electronically to enforcement, this is me, this is me, this is me. Um, And the idea there is that we'll really be able to get a, um, 
a, a, a deeper dive on which truck you're looking at, which will better inform inspection selection decisions um, and help us kind of really drill down into the parts of the industry and the trucks and the motor carriers that we don't really touch right now because we can't find them. You know, we've got, like I mentioned, 13,000 inspectors out there on the roads. There is significantly more uh, commercial motor vehicles operating on our roadways right now. And, you know, we, a lot of our inspections take place in inspection way stations, which are along the major interstates. And there's tons of commercial traffic that operates off the interstates and it's harder to find those car, those trucks and um, interact with them. And so the idea is that if we could better identify not just the motor carrier, but the vehicle itself, then we would be able to make better informed decisions about which vehicles to stop and inspect. And so that's what we're trying to do. Um, we, the, the ANPRM proposed by FMCSA was, was just that it's an advanced notice of proposed rulemaking, right? So they want to gather as much information as possible before they develop a concept and put it out for specific comments, right? And so FMCSA took the opportunity to throw a lot of stuff into the ANPRM that is outside of the scope of what we are asking for. Um, you know, they, they bring up level eight inspections and electronic inspections and all these other pieces that while, you know, certainly are related, I mean, it's all overlapping tech technology, right? It's not what we're asking for on the universal ID front. And so I think that's kind of the biggest point for us is we understand that they wanted to take the opportunity to take a lot of input. But from our perspective, a lot of the feedback that they're receiving isn't applicable to the universal ID concept. It's applicable to other concepts that they are also exploring at the same time. And the perfect example is um, uh, personal identifying information, PII, right? One of the questions is, should PII be transmitted as part of the universal ID? And the answer is categorically no. The universal ID should just transmit that one singular piece of data, the universal ID, whether it is the VIN for the vehicle, whether it is a string of arbitrary letters and numbers, emojis, whatever. It is just that one piece of information that the inspector grabs just like we grab a DOT number now and we plug it into all the systems and it pulls up the motor carrier information and the registration information and all the different little bits of information, uh, we would just be using the VIN to dial down to which truck it is, not just which motor carrier. And so, you know, that's one of those places where they asked a much broader question, I think, to get input on things that they're looking at but under the umbrella of universal ID. And so it gets kind of um, blurred a little bit. But for, for our perspective, the universal ID is one singular piece of data that is, you know, that the enforcement is able to grab from the vehicle that then lets them plug into the systems they have now to get all of that other information they have access to now. Yeah, I'm glad you explained how FMCSA took your original concept and broadened it uh, greatly. And that's an understatement because I think, I think in defense of CVSA, uh, because your name is associated with this news, um, some folks who aren't reading all the details are mistakenly thinking CVSA is requesting this and this and this and this. Privately, Adrian, my trucking in industry colleagues tell me, um, although there has been some opposition, but quite interestingly, neutrality officially uh, from ATA and, and, and some of those folks at this point, they're telling me, Adrian, that they may not have any heartburn with CVSA's initial core request, particularly Adrian, and I want to ask your opinion on this, if, for example, only the U.S. DOT number um, was really all the information that was being transmitted. Your thoughts? 
Yeah, I think you hit it right there on the head. You know, when when you dial in on what we're asking for, it's a, it's a lot less controversial. I'm not going to say everybody likes the idea because you you know not everybody likes everything. But the the from reading the comments to FMCSA in the docket, most of the staunch opposition has been to pieces that aren't actually applicable to universal ID, right? And we've we've been able to gain support and interest in those concepts. And so I think you know whether it's the DOT number or some other string of whatever it is. It really is just that one piece of data that helps us say this is um, Adrian's trucking truck number one or Adrian's trucking truck number two. And the reason we want that information is because, you know, from an inspection uh, selection standpoint, the inspectors want to spend their time on the motor carriers and the vehicles most in need of attention, right? And so if they can get information that says, you know, not only is this Adrian's trucking, but this is Adrian's trucking truck one that historically has a massive brake problem. We know brakes are critically important, right? And so uh, truck number two, well, that's a brand new truck and it's in great condition, but without that information about which truck I'm looking at, I don't know if I'm looking at the truck that has a horrible brake problem or the brand new truck that doesn't need any attention because it's perfectly fine. The universal ID would tell us which truck it was and then the inspector, and again, the other piece of this that's really important is that the universal ID concept does not replace all of the other pieces of information that go into inspection selection decisions now, right? So it's just an additional piece of data that the inspector will receive to decide whether he wants to look at that truck, that truck, or that truck. And before uh, I turn I this question, over, do, do yep. you... Mm -hmm. uh, go ahead. Go ahead, Tony. Go ahead, Tony. Oh, I was going to ask you, um, so do you believe that having that in place is going to allow the carriers, which I know the carriers are all for bypassing the scale, do you think this is going to help increase that capability so less trucks will have to be pulled over and they'll focus on those truckers and those people that have those main issues? And if they just were inspected, you know, 100 miles down the road, why do I need to be inspected again? I passed my 10 inspections today. Why do I need to do it again? So it's not going to impact bypassing the way station because the other factor is that it's a one-way communication. It's from the vehicle to the inspector to inform the inspector of which, which vehicles they've got on the roads around them. Um, but it will reduce the number of instances instances when a motor carrier who doesn't need to be looked at gets looked at, right? That's our, that's our goal here is to find mm -hmm. the vehicles, motor carriers, and drivers most in need of intervention and education and, and spend time with them rather than the ones that we see going past the way station every day. And I think the other critical component of this is that the universal ID concept takes us beyond the way station, right? Beyond the inspection yep. station on the interstate. There, this way, if an inspector is out on a rural road and, you know, there's a couple of trucks around them and they got the universal IDs, they can figure out which one they want to look at more quickly and more effectively. Um, maybe they want to go off the interstate onto one of the, the, you know, routes along the side of the interstate and maybe see what trucks are playing in that area. Um, so it, it's less about what's happening at the way stations and the inspection stations, although it would certainly be applicable there too. Um, but it's more about broadening our reach and finding and touching more vehicles that we're just not finding right now. I'm glad you brought that up, Tony, because part two, Adrian, of what I'm hearing privately from the trucking industry folks is, is this, the old good apple versus bad apple. And that is not necessarily geared to CVSA, but more as we talked earlier about FMCSA expanding this potentially with their questions. And that is the age old issue we hear from the trucking industry, please do not implement new policies or procedures that will simply um, tie us up 
the 90, 95% folks doing things the right way, yet still allow the bad apples to slip through. I know you've heard that time and time again from the trucking industry. How might that yeah, play into this proposal? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's that's exactly what we're trying to do, right? We've got our, our system in place now and it, it works well, um, but we're still, there's still uh, lots of trucks we're not looking at. And what we want to do is better identify and find the vehicles and drivers and motor carriers who really do need our attention. We don't want to spend our time on the good motor carriers. That's not the, the enforcement community's responsibility. Their responsibility is to find the motor carriers who need to do a better job and help them do that, right? And so um, our goal is to put this universal ID concept in place, which will give the inspector community more dialed, drilled down information on the vehicles that are operating on the roadways around them and help them make better informed decisions about which trucks to stop and which commercial motor vehicles to stop. And um, hopefully that will help us find and work with motor carriers who need to step it up and improve their game rather than pulling over the ones who are doing a great job and don't really need our attention. Tony, how does this proposal tie into ProMiles, um, Deep Footprint, in the world of technology and credentialing and those types of things? Well, the big thing, Stephen, is we work with, uh, you know, all the little guys, all the big guys, and, you know, there's a lot of guys out there that are, that are really doing well. You know, they know what they're doing. They train their drivers. They're very educated, very respectful. Uh, ELD allowed the good guys to stand out now. Well, without the ELD, you know, we didn't really know who was the good or bad. And I think with this concept, it's something that the enforcement needs. The enforcement needs more information on what truck it is and did this truck just get inspected? Should it be inspected again? Even as far down, I know I've heard from some enforcement guys, they want to know who's behind that, that wheel. They want to know who's driving that truck is what's very important to some of those because they're worried. They're worried to walk up to a truck and have a gun pulled on them because this guy has a criminal record and he's hauling a backload. Maybe he stole the truck, you know? But the key that you got to look at is I think getting the industry to understand all we're trying to do is keep the good guys good, but let's not waste their time. They got a job to do. They got to keep moving that freight. But it's those that five to 10% that aren't doing it well, that is causing the pain for the rest of them. And so I, I really think Adrian, that, that the concept, what you guys were posing makes a lot of sense. I mean, that's what we did. We created a product called e-credentials. And in that the government back in 2019 said that we're going to start allowing your credentials to be electronic. You know, instead of bunch of paper, coffee spilled on it and everything else, the guy can't find it or he handed it to the to the officer and didn't get one of them back. Now he gets to the next port. Now he's all stuck for hours trying to get another copy. So a couple of years prior to COVID, we released e-credentials. And what this was, it used, similar to what you guys proposed, a QR code. And this QR code, when you scan it, will hit the system and only allow the enforcement officers, no one else, to be able to pull those credential information, to let them know all the credentials on that vehicle for all the permits they need to require all in one little spot where if you don't want to scan that QR code or get it electronically that way, the driver can just click a button and send it to you by text or by email. And now you can download those credentials for 24 hours. After that, they're not there. That QR code is very secure, in my opinion, more secure than most things because you can control that. It's not like you or me can go down there with our phone and scan it and get all that guy's information. No, only the enforcement guys can. Or if I want to supply those credentials to a shipper, receiver, broker, third party, insurance agent, then I can supply it to them as well. But it has to be secure. 
And I think that's where the carriers are very concerned right now. They're scared that you're getting into their weeds, you're getting into their personal information. And, and we really don't want that information out there because what if somebody hacked into the system? What if somebody figured a way to, to kick the system? Well, this is no different than your driver's license, no different than your license plate. I mean, it's all part of a process. And I believe that CVSA has taken a great stance because everything I've done in transportation for 32 years, the right hand doesn't understand what the left hand's doing, vice versa. The industry versus the government, you know, there's so much disconnection there. The, they're very disjointed. And in my opinion, some of the things you're doing to train and educate those 13,000 folks, that's key. Because I can tell you in 32 years, I've had plenty of situations where I had a, a carrier or an owner operator call us going, look, you told me I was legal to go through this state. And now I've got a guy pulled me over and tell him I'm not legal, you know, and then you spend 10 minutes talking to the officer to find out that he didn't know about the new law that just was released in 30 days ago. You know, he wasn't aware of it. And right. so now you've got irritation between that driver and that enforcement guy That enforcement guys out there for one reason to keep enforcement, to make sure people are doing what they're supposed to be doing to keep us safe. Okay. We all should care about that versus putting people out there that don't know what they're doing to slow these carriers down. So I give you guys a lot of kudos for yeah. this grant you just got because the industry needed it. And I think the carriers should embrace this big time. And I think they need to be part of this. They need to understand these, these inspection details. This is all part yeah. of both sides have to understand because if not, there's going to be nothing but conflict. Nobody's going to agree on anything. So, Adrian, just to be clear, the concept as proposed by FMCSA is truck-specific only, not individual driver-specific. Clear that up for us. Yeah, absolutely. So from CVSA's perspective, what CVSA is asking for is the ability to identify the vehicle on the road in front of them. Um, so it, no driver-specific information is being uh, transmitted by the universal ID. It is simply the um, the identifier for that specific vehicle. And then from there, the inspector plugs in and has access to all the systems they use now using the DOT number or the license plate or what have you. And so um, it's just a different, more specific way to identify the specific vehicle. And then from there, the inspector would, if he decides to pull the vehicle over, um, do the standard inspection and driver interaction and get that information at that point, once they've pulled the vehicle over. Now that should make the uh, carriers much happier because I know that's their big pushback. They don't want that personal information carried across, you know, yeah. and to be honest with you, if you've got an 80,000 gross weight, you know, bomb going down the road, you know, you want to know what that truck is and where it comes from. Because if you guys could really focus on those bad ones, and get them off that road or get them to learn better uh, so they can stay on the road. That's all the industry is looking for. But they are. They're very, very concerned that you guys are going to look all the way as deep as you can, go all the way, get the driver's information, and, and have all that personal information out there in the cloud. That's what they're really scared about. They don't understand what you're trying to do. Yeah, yeah, no, I definitely understand that and appreciate that. And I think that that's one of the reasons that opportunities like this are, are so important and helpful is it gives us, you know, a chance to come and kind of explain what we're asking for and what we're trying to achieve and ease some of those concerns, hopefully. Another comment I'm hearing from trucking industry um, with regards to this issue, Adrian, is back to the good apple, bad apple concept. Might this lead to more and more state law enforcement agencies, interstate sharing data and information to perhaps make the lives of the predominant majority of trucks doing things the correct way, make their lives a bit easier in terms of sharing data from one state to another? 
I mean, I think that's certainly an there's certainly an opportunity to do more of that. I think that um, the the universal ID concept, if implemented, would allow us to uh, find and interact with more motor carriers that aren't getting interaction right now, where they're not getting the inspections for whatever reason. They don't go past the way stations. They work in the rural areas and don't pass inspectors all that often. And if we are able to gather more data and do more inspections on those motor carriers, then that informs the 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 larger data set, right? It helps put a better refined, um, better, more accurate picture of the motor carrier industry as a whole, because if we only have information on X percent, we'll say I, this is just a, you know, 40%, let's say, let's say we've got good information on 40% of the motor carriers out there operating on the roadways, um, then, you know, the 40% we do have look a certain way, but if we could go get information on that other 60%, it's going to, separate out the motor carrier industry even further and we're really going to be able to identify those ones who are at the far end of the spectrum most in need of intervention because most of the motor carriers are good and they do a great job and they're going to be in that kind of bell curve in the middle where it's like y'all are doing good maybe some room for improvement here or there but generally speaking doing a great job this one over here this little segment over here this is the one we need to find and then we're going to be able to do a better job finding them i'm guessing you and colin and the rest of cvsa leadership have already had heard multiple discussions from the pre-pass, the bypass uh, community and the vendors. And they say, as you well know, in the comments and otherwise, we have millions and millions of dollars invested uh, in, in, in our world, in our industry. And I'm guessing they feel a little bit threatened, not by CVSA's proposal, but some of the, the how FMCSA has expanded it. What, what, if anything, can you share with us that you're sharing with those pre-pass, bypass folks in response to that? Or, or will so in the future. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the most important thing here is that to stress once again that this is not intended, nor would it be able to replace the bypass model. Um, first, very first piece is that it's a one-way communication. All this is is a tool that helps the inspector better identify the truck. Right now, the inspector runs the DOT number or the license plate. He has to do it manually. It takes a couple seconds. Things pull up on the system, and while they're doing that however many other trucks drive past them and they don't run the DOT number on those trucks because they're running the DOT number on truck number one right now. So trucks two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight get to go by without any kind of interaction with the enforcement official, right? With the universal ID concept, um, we would be able to automate that. It would go more quickly. I wouldn't have to enter a DOT number because the universal ID would be telling me which trucks are around me, which trucks there are, and informing my inspection selection decision. And so um, I would know that you know these are the four trucks around me, and that's the one I want to look at, right? So it's just an, an enhanced inspection selection tool for the inspectors. We're running DOT numbers now. We're running license plates now. Um, there's nothing communicated back from the inspector to the truck in any way. It's just to help them identify identify the trucking, um, the trucks that are in their uh, immediate area at the time. So I, it's just, they're not, in our opinion, they are not related at all. We would still need bypass systems. They would still need to operate out there on the roadways because you need that two-way communication and you need the verification of the motor carrier safety, uh, um, safety culture and all that sort of stuff that goes into the bypass program. And so, um, you know, we, we understand the concerns, especially when universal ID gets lumped in with all these other ideas and it kind of gets mashed up and you, it's hard to refine what exactly we're talking about. But at the end of the day, our universal ID concept is simply a more enhanced, more advanced, selection and identification tool. That's all.
And I think that's amazing, Stephen, because I mean, I've been, like I said, we've been, I've been doing this since 1989. I honestly think the carriers, once they truly understand the pieces, will embrace this. Why? It's those good carriers. The bad guys, no, they're going to fight. They're going to scream. They're going to holler going, hey, no, I get away with a lot of stuff right now. And if you do this and I got 50 trucks, you're going to pick out those bad trucks I've got uh, that do have those bad brakes, those owner operators that lease onto them that don't have sufficient equipment. So I think, you know, Adrian, I think this is amazing. I know to me, it was a no brainer whenever we saw this mm-hmm. because we've been working on the concept, of trying to find out more information to try to simplify this whole process of trying to help support the right trucks and help those right trucks at the right time. So I think you guys need to continue. I think the more that you can educate the carriers, they're going to go with this. Mostly the car- just like ELD. When ELD came out, everybody was all going crazy. This is going to happen. Over time, those good guys, they actually went out and adopted the technology, embraced it, and found better ways to run their trucks. So if people will look at this, I think they'll start realizing that those your six-truck scenario driving down the road well, buddy, you're, you're the lucky guy that every time gets picked out of those six trucks. That's not fair for that guy. He doesn't need to be talked to every time you turn around. It's the other truck. So the concept that CVSA is doing, I really think that once the industry understands what your true goal is versus what FMCSA's goal is, I think they'll start embracing this. I really do. And I think once something like this was to happen and they see the, the number of times they do get pulled over slow down, uh, they're going to be very appreciative to this te- technology that you guys are doing. That, yeah, that's our hope. And I, I, you know, I think that to your point, it really is about education and outreach and answering the questions and easing the concerns. And, um, you know, one of the other big concerns I've heard from the industry that I, I've spoken a lot about is the idea that, you know, they're concerned that enforcement would use this universal ID to track the truck and see where it was before um, and things like that for compliance purposes. And I want to make sure that I emphasize that that is not at all what we are trying to do here. That is not something that we would support if it were pursued. The idea is not to track the vehicle. It is to identify the vehicles in my immediate area at this moment and tell me which ones are there and make a help me decide which one is most in need of my um, intervention. That's all it's supposed to do. And so, you know, it's not leaving a little trail of breadcrumbs of where this truck was three hours ago, two hours ago, 30 minutes ago. That's not what we're talking about. It is which vehicles are right here in my immediate area so that I can pick the one most in need of intervention. Yeah, that's the other elephant in the room. Anytime we're talking technology uh, with the trucking industry and, and the government involved is big brother and privacy, whether we're talking this issue, whether we're talking um, the wonderful issue of miles-based uh, taxes versus fuel taxes, you name it. Let's stay in the technology theme, uh, but shift, Adrian, to the wonderful world of emerging autonomous trucks, electric vehicles, that type of thing. Tell us about CVSA's recent position statements. Yeah, absolutely. We're really proud of um, our work on uh, in the autonomous realm. Back at our uh, annual conference in Rapid City last fall, our board of directors approved the Enhanced Commercial Motor Vehicle Inspection Program. Um, essentially, you know, a couple years ago, we set up a working group to decide how are we going to handle truly driverless trucks out there on the roadways, right? And um, so we set up a working group. Uh, it was uh, included the inspectors, um, the federal government people, um, the ADS community, motor carriers, you know, the whole slew of folks. And we got together and we looked at what is the best way to um, apply the 
North American standard roadside inspection program to these vehicles don't really conform with it, right? And so you know, the working group did its research, came up with some recommendations, and they basically concluded that the current roadside inspection model um, doesn't fit with autonomous trucks. These vehicles are going to be designed to operate within their, um, you know, their specific uh, design domain, point A to point B to C to D, um, and way stations just aren't part of that. You know, pullovers on the side of the road are just not part of that. And when you start to try and incorporate that, you run into some serious trouble. There's also the the factor that the the standard level one inspection, for example, relies heavily on the driver. Driver, open your hood. Driver, press the brakes. Driver, signal left. Driver, signal right. And if there's no driver, then how do you get that? How do you do any of that, right? And so, um, you know, the the decision was made that rather than try and stop these vehicles in route. Um, we do still need a way to ensure that they are being maintained and that they are in good operating condition, all of the non-ADS components, right? And so the the what we have come up with is this enhanced inspection program where prior to departure, the vehicles are subject to a incredibly rigorous inspection. It's much more than the daily pre-trip. It's much more than the annual inspection. It's a very rigorous. We look at everything. Um, and so they go through this inspection, and it's a zero defect point of origin inspection, basically similar to our level six program. Um, and essentially, the vehicle has to pass the inspection. There can be nothing wrong with it. And once it passes the inspection, it's able to roll out there on the road, right? And so um, the inspections are conducted by CDSA trained and certified motor carrier personnel. The inspections will not be done by uh, government law enforcement. It will be done by certified motor carrier personnel. Um, and uh, and so basically once the vehicle is inspected and it's allowed to go out onto the road, it, it then has to be able to communicate to inspection officials that it might come across out there on the roads that it passed its, its enhanced inspection, it, all of its components are in good working order, that its ADS equipment is all operational and in good working order, and that it is operating within its designated uh, design domain. So those are the three components of the program. Um, back in the fall, the board approved the inspection standard, they approved the certification training, and they improved the um, uh, the inspection procedure as well. So all of those have been developed and approved by the board of director. We have our um, first enhanced inspection uh, in training course. It's scheduled for February 13th through 17th down in Texas. And so that'll be our very first course. Um, we're going to get it get it up and running and start training motor carrier personnel so that when it's time to finally put this thing into motion and get it operational, the people are certified and trained to do it. Um, that's just the first big chunk, though. There's still a lot of work to be done. We have to figure out how certification works, how it's maintained. Like, you know, CVSA inspectors, they get certified and they have to do a certain number of inspections every year to remain certified. And that gets certified by the state that they did those inspections. How does all that work? Who monitors that and oversees that? And then the data exchange is an incredibly critical piece. That data package that says, yes, I was inspected and I passed. All of my components on the ADS side are operational and I am complying with my, uh, you know, my operational domain, that data package, how it gets transmitted and what specific data points and all of that is still a question. And so that's what um, our ADS working group is, is uh, trying to talk through now, how the certification works and the data exchange. And then Tony obviously we need private... guidance from the federal, oh, sorry. I'm sorry, Adrian. Tony, from a private vendor perspective, how does your company's philosophy jive or not with Adrian's uh, company's philosophy with regards to autonomous trucks? Well, I think it's very interesting. The one challenge that we've been hearing from all of our uh, DOTs that uh, we do these oversized overweight permits for 
uh, is what are they going to do with that truck when he's in the middle of Dallas and they've got a construction issue or something, an accident happened, and they go knock on that window and say, Mr. Smith, you need to take your truck, go down a quarter of a mile, take a left, get out of here. Uh, but there's nobody in the truck. So they're like, well, how am I going to be able to do this? Well, we've got to know where those vehicles are at. And we've got to be able to know, you know, what to do to assist that carrier and to know where to go and how to do things, because that's going to be very difficult. It's one thing when you have a driver you can communicate with, but you've got a piece of hardware you're communicating with. So that's going to be very interesting to see how you guys are able to deal with that piece. Any thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's just the next round of questions that have to get tackled and answered, right? I think that right now, from my understanding, most of the ADS operators in the commercial space are focusing on um, uh, interstate travel. So, you know, mm-hmm. getting on at exit two and getting off at exit 80 or, you know, whatever, and having that truck just operate between those two points. And so you, to minimize those um, unpredictable interactions as much as possible, but they will still exist, right? And so there crashes on the interstate and everything slows and you You've got to divert onto a, a detour route, right? And so those are all questions that um, the ADS community and the motor carrier community and CVSA are all still trying to hammer through because you got to try and be prepared for as many scenarios as possible so that you don't get yourself into a situation where you've got a truck on the side of the road and you can't move it. Yep. Adrian, um, electric vehicles, hydrogen vehicles, mile-based mile uh, taxes and user fees and such. Uh, what, if any, uh, positions has CVSA uh, taken on that wonderful new emerging world? You know, we don't really have any positions in, in that space, quite honestly. I think from um, on the electric vehicle and hydrogen vehicle and things like that, it, it's, we don't have a position. It's more we need to know what to do with them when we find one. And so that, again, going back to how we very first started this discussion, that collaboration, bringing all the players into the room, if there's going to be a new type of engine out there on the roadway, we need to talk to the manufacturers so that we can train our inspectors on how to inspect and interact with that vehicle safely and effectively and be able to verify that the components are in safe working order, right? And so, you know, our focus is really more on what what components are we going to be looking at and how do we inspect them safely and what do we need to know, what do we need to watch for? And as long as we can get that information and get that information out to the inspector community, you know, we don't really have a preference one way or the other on the, the type of technology that operates the vehicle. And then on the, you know, vehicle miles travel versus diesel versus, it's really just not within our kind of scope, you know, um, you know, obviously we want the, uh, the, the highway trust fund, which is a source of funding for the, the DOT and their programs for the most part, we want it to be well-funded and robust so that, you know, these critical safety programs and uh, infrastructure investment programs, you know, things like that all get the funding they need so that we can have a really robust transportation system. That's important to us, but you know, we just, it's, it's really not our place to say what the funding mechanism should be.